Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spood Mob podcast feed. This week, I'm joined by Chef James Ray Ray Anderson, who is the founder, owner of Ray Ray's Hog Pit and the newly opened Ray Ray's Meat and Three out in Granville, which is actually a brick and mortar restaurant. Opened this year earlier, kind of summertime, I think like, you know, April, May, June timeframe is when they first opened. But they still have the food trucks over at Noctera Brewing, Land Grant Brewing in Franklinton, Noctera's up in Powell, Clintonville too as well where Asa Cups is, and then also out in Westerville, kind of right in the middle of, in between the Wendy's and the Home Depot, kind of in that shopping area. It's a little drive up kind of stand that they have there. But James is a really cool dude. He's very even keeled, very meticulous, very thoughtful. If you've ever seen the episode, I think it's like season 29 of the show, when he was on Guy Fieri's uh, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I think it's uh, season 29. Guy Fieri came to Columbus. He went there. He went to Loops. Uh, I think Momo Gar was on there too as well, and maybe one or two other places. That's kind of maybe your first instance of seeing James Ray Ray Anderson on TV, and he's very mild, doesn't get excited easily. He's very even keeled, very meticulous. That's how he is on the podcast too as well. I mean, he's on brand. That's who he is, and it's easy to see why he's been so successful with Ray Ray's. I think a lot of people know of Ray Ray's, you know, obviously the James Beard nomination, which we kind of get into uh, towards the end of the podcast that came through, you know, right before COVID. And that was completely unexpected for them. And I think a lot of people know about Ray Ray's, know that it exists, but don't know the story and how James is basically self-taught, worked at a German restaurant for, you know, a number of years, actually opened two or three different kind of barbecue focused restaurants before Ray Ray's trial and error, kind of opened, closed, opened, closed, opened, closed again, you know, and then eventually kind of stripped it all down back to just him and a food truck and a food cart. And that's kind of how Ray Ray's was born. And then it kind of blew out to this whole thing that it is now. And it's kind of the the most well-known barbecue spot. You know, we have other barbecue spots in Columbus. There's a handful of them, probably like four or five that I can think of off the top of my head. But Ray Ray's is probably the most famous, the most known, um, you know, partnered with different breweries and everything. So we cover all that, kind of his career, the farm that he has out in Granville too, why he wanted to get back into brick and mortar with meat and three and everything. So if you haven't been to meat and three, please go out there, check it out. I was kind of blown away. I didn't know really what to expect when I went out there. I, I kind of just expected it to be Ray Ray's hog truck, you know, same kind of menu and maybe a few other things, you know, and they do have like the jerk chicken sandwich, I think is on there, uh, the ribs and stuff too, you can find out there, but everything else is kind of like brand new. The mac and cheese is way different from anything that you'd find at their food trucks, completely different style, completely different taste. You know, they had German potato salad on there. Uh, there was a sweet potato dish aside. Uh, I wound up getting turkey. Uh, it was like smoked turkey, which was really awesome. They have whole hog, uh, chopped whole hog, but you can still get the ribs. Uh, you can get brisket and stuff too as well. But the menu is pretty big actually. And I was really surprised by that. And they did a really awesome job with the interior too, as well. Super kind of homey, but also kind of new and stylistic too, as well. Very clean, kind of has a little bit of a minimalism kind of vibe to it. You kind of walk in, they got paper menus kind of with what's going on and specials on a chalkboard. And you kind of just go down the line cafeteria style. I'm going to get this and this and this side. You can add more sides. You don't have to just get three. You can get one side or you can get five sides. And it's really, you know, cost effective too as well. I mean, I think the meat and three itself, if you get that, it's like 15 bucks, I think. And I can only imagine Saturdays and Sundays that it's just packed on the weekends, like the brunch, lunch crowd. Like, I mean, it just seems like a perfect spot out there. You know, I live downtown. It's probably maybe like 40 minutes or so, you know, pretty much just drive down 161. 
right off the freeway there off 161. As soon as you get off the exit, you make a left and then you kind of cross just the overpass and there's a vacant gas station. It doesn't operate anymore and Ray Ray's is right next to it. It's super convenient to get to, plenty of parking, overflow into the gas station area too as well. They did an awesome job. There's outdoor seating too as well if you want to sit outside. So I was pretty blown away. I just thought it was going to be kind of like a sit down version of Ray Ray's, almost like what uh, Mikey's Late Night Slice kind of did. You know, they had the food truck and then they had the little kind of picnic area inside way back in the day, talking like 2012 day, you know, before they blew up into what they are now, you know, and then they became kind of a sit down restaurant and everything like that. So I thought it was going to be kind of in that mode, but it's it's a completely different thing. You know, it's still barbecue fits under the kind of Ray Ray's banner, but completely different. I was blown away by it. I couldn't recommend it enough. Definitely worth the drive if you got small kids or like barbecue or anything like that. It's kind of cool too, because, you know, when you do some research on the the barbecue places, Texas and stuff like that, they're all kind of like 30 minute drives away from whatever city that they're in. So this is kind of stylistically, you know, like that too. You got to drive a little bit to get good barbecue. That's just kind of the way of the world. Make sure to check that out. You can follow them on Instagram. You can follow James at thepigboss225, at Ray Ray's Hog Pit, and at Ray Ray's Meat and Three. Meat and Three is all spelled out. You could also follow, you know, the Noctera Brewing, Land Grant Brewing, Ace of Cups. You know, they have some overlap and stuff there too as well with different kind of events and stuff that they do. Obviously, they're always on site there. So check those accounts out too as well. But make sure to follow them on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram too as well at SpoonMob, Twitter, Facebook. Check out the website, all that stuff. Without further delay, here's my conversation with James Ray Ray Anderson, the owner, founder, and chef at Ray Ray's Meat and Three. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. Uh, I know we were in conversations, but you were pretty busy with Meat and Three opening that, uh, your latest restaurant out there in Granville, which I want to get into. Start where I start with everybody kind of at the beginning. How did you first kind of get into restaurants and get into food? Was it just something that like your first job in high school you started cooking? I mean, I know there was a big chunk of time at a restaurant, a uh, German restaurant that you worked at for like 15, 16 years. But how did you get your start? Well, first off, thanks for having me on. Started off in a German restaurant when I was 14 slash 15. But before that, I was always inspired by my dad. My dad was a barbecue cook for his entire life. And I was always inspired that he uh, did barbecue and was a cook in general. So I just got involved in cooking from his inspiration. But I started off at a German restaurant um, because my brother worked there. So it was just kind of convenient to, you know, for him to get me a job there. So started washing dishes there, moved over to pot and pans, which was like a promotion from the dish tank to the pot and pan section. And then worked my way to fry and then down to saute station and then to the grill station and then up to chef and worked there for a good long time. And that's where I learned my uh, professional cooking chops, basically how to cook for large groups. We had a big banquet kitchen. Uh, we had a banquet kitchen, but we also had a banquet dining room. And that dining room sat over a hundred people or I think it was a couple hundred. I can't remember. Yeah, we had a restaurant and banquet kitchen and I learned how to cook for you know professionally there. Did you always plan to like be that long at that restaurant? Like 16 years is a long time. It was from age almost 15 to 22. So it was it was seven years. My boss and I had a really good relationship. I don't know. I just stayed there because I was performing good. They kept giving me positive feedback. I love the restaurant business. I love the culture in the back. I love to, you know, go out and drink on the weekends with them. I actually drink all the time with them. You know, I just grew up in that restaurant. And I love that restaurant culture in the back of the house, especially. I, I worked in the front of the house a little bit. It was okay, but uh, I, my heart is in the back of the house. I loved cooking and loved cooking for large volumes. I also loved German cooking. So it was a very ideal fit. I still have dreams about working there. Even now, like how good it was then, I'd love to go back and revisit it. I'd love to even open a German restaurant of my own. Fundamental process that I went through to learn how to cook in that German environment. 
No, it's funny that it's only seven years. I, I'll have to find the article and send it to you. But yeah, it was like, oh, you worked there for like 16 years. I'll find it, send it to you. But that's part of the reason why we do the podcast is like there's so much information that's like not 100% accurate on people. So that was kind of part of the reason that I came up with the podcast, just doing some research on people and stuff. So you never went to culinary school, right? Correct. Did you think about it at all? Or was that just not an option, not something that you were interested in at the time? Yeah, I've never really been interested in it. I did go to college for photography went through that whole program. And that's where that was all in the middle of that kind of culinary start. And then realized I didn't want to do photography and I just wanted to stick to cooking. Um, but I, I like more of the school, the hard knocks type self-taught haven't really worked under a bunch of chefs. I mean, I worked under my chef at the German restaurant. Actually, I haven't worked under any chefs except him. And that was all the way back when I was 21. So the, for the past 20 something years, I've been, you know, my own boss and cooking what I want, how I want doing what I want. It's really a self-taught mentality. I like culinary school and stuff, but it just wasn't for me. If somebody at one of your locations or even in the meat and three kitchen asked for your advice on if they should go to culinary school, like they're real serious about becoming a professional chef, what would you tell them? I'm about in the middle. I would encourage it if that's what they wanted. But if they had an attitude of, you know, I think I should just uh, learn under a couple of different chefs and work in a couple of kitchens and go that route, I would support that as well. I don't really have a hard feeling one way or the other. How'd you get into photography? Because you were doing like commercial billboard formatting. Yeah, I did commercial photography and I also did uh, commercial printing where we printed um, large format stuff for the limited brands. In middle school and high school, I was into photography and then I took it as far as going through college for it and then uh, opened a little studio after I graduated college when I was about 20. And then for a couple of years, I ran that little studio with a graphic designer friend of mine. I, I still love photography and I loved it then and I love it now, but I'm the, kind of the artsy fartsy type a little bit. Do you still mess around with photography at all in your free time or? I do a little bit. What do you gravitate towards? Is it skylines? Is it nature, still life, people? For fundamental training, I'm an architectural photographer, exteriors and interiors of buildings. And that was what I did for a living. And that's what I was trained on. But nowadays I like to shoot food because it very much pertains to my business. Um, I like to shoot people pertaining to like, the people that are in my business, like my employees, I like to shoot them and do spotlights on them and brag about how good they're doing. But that's really the only thing I photograph now is, you know, I photograph things for work. So is most of the Instagram, the Ray Ray's Instagram, most of that stuff, photos that you've taken? Um, those photos, I'm basically the art director on those photos, but I'm not pushing the trigger. But you're giving like final approval? Yeah, they, they, I'm definitely involved in every picture that's taken, but I'm not holding the camera. Did any of the photos like on the website, is that same deal? Or did you take any of those that you wound up using? The ones on the website are a friend of mine, um, Sergey. He, uh, we've done a lot of work over the years together and he's a designer and photographer and he needs none of my direction and he is really great on his own. So he's a really good photographer that I trust a lot. Um, so those are not my photos on there. Currently, I'm working with a gal named Heidi and she has been doing our photos for about a year and uh, I work very close with her. But she is really, really strong on the photo side. What made you kind of want to open your a restaurant of your own kind of in the first place? I mean, you had a couple of concepts before Ray Ray's. So I know that the trade that I want to be in is cooking. So that was a given. I'm a cook for life. Um, so I know that I want to be in the restaurant trade. Secondarily, I like, you know, being my own boss. Those two things led me to believe that I needed to open my own restaurant. Ray Ray's kind of took off like 2009, right? Basically, you had some restaurants. You stripped it all down and were basically like food cart, right? It was you and a smoker. Yeah. Ray Ray started in 2009. Yeah. It was just a, the concept was I was involved in some, I had my own restaurant before Ray Ray's and we opened and closed about three restaurants, lost the taste for brick and mortars at that point. 
and then wanted to just really simplify things, get back to the food, uh, get back to the cooking and not really the hectic and headache type stuff that comes along with running a brick and mortar. I wanted to just cook. Like my passion was just the food and I just wanted to cook. So I thought I'll do a food truck. I work on the food truck by myself. I don't have to deal with only the bull crap that goes along with having a restaurant and doing a catering division and like all these different festivals and all this stuff that I was involved in. I just want to cook and I want to be on the corner. And I just thought, okay, one man, one smoker. I'll go to Clintonville, which I had some connections there and I had a little following there. Plus, I just love Clintonville. That's what I did. I did one man, one smoker, one trailer and started selling barbecue in 2009 on the corner of Pace Mountain High. And we were busy from day one. What was your setup? Was it just a smoker that you'd haul with a pickup truck or like was it an actual food truck at that time? Food truck came later. Uh, what I started on was a jacked up landscape trailer, just a flatbed uh, landscape trailer that I had a, uh, a wood burning pit mounted to. I would just work outside off of this landscape trailer and smoker mount to the trailer. And then uh, I would build a wall onto the landscape trailer like once a month. Like while I was working doing barbecue and serving, like I would also be like building this food trailer. So by the first end of the first six months, like I had this trailer, it had walls and I was like, I don't have to work outside anymore. Now I'm inside. So it's now I can go, you know, 12 months out of the year. So it was just real like shoestring budget, just real scrappy in the beginning. But the customers were there and were supporting me like crazy. So it motivated me to just keep doing it. So I just built the walls. It's like build the wall one nail at a time type thing. Looking back on it, do you think that'd still be possible today? Like if you took where you started in 2009 with Ray Ray's and just tried to do it now, do you think that would still be the same course of everything? It might be a little different now because like then it was kind of a rarity for uh, the food truck thing. There was just like me and like the Mexican food trucks. Like there wasn't a whole lot of white dudes or like Americans or, you know, anything but the taco trucks really. So like the taco trucks and then there was me. So I think that they accepted me a little differently and they were like, man, what's this guy doing? Like he's out here, it's like December, it's freaking snowing and he's out here building a trailer and trying to sell barbecue at the same time. Like, should I go there? And then, I don't know. I think I just blew them away with my sincerity and the good food. I think they liked it. And that's why they kept coming back. And they would come back and stand in the snow. And it very much drove me to want to do it more because the customers loved it so much. Did you know what you were getting into? Starting just the one man, one smoker kind of deal? Or did you not even like care? You were just kind of done with the brick and mortar stuff. Whatever happens, great. But I just want to cook good food. Uh, the second thing you said, I didn't, I didn't care. I just wanted to cook. Why barbecue? I mean, I know you mentioned you know, your dad. Was that the reason why you stuck with barbecue? So my dad was the inspiration for me to get started in barbecue. What like has kept me in the barbecue business um, over the years was the fact that uh, barbecue is very versatile from like selling it standpoint. It's very like the clientele is very diverse and, you know, a lot of people like barbecue. So it makes it a good trade to be in, a good, a good sustainable trade to be in from a business perspective. Another reason why I'm very much into barbecue is I love to eat meat. I love the elements of cooking outside and the challenges that barbecue brings to the table. You know, I can cook in a kitchen. I like to cook outside. I like to have, like, it's like catering. It's just like catering chefs are usually a little more rugged than, you know, restaurant chefs because they get put in all these weird challenges. Like, you know, cook this delicious meal for a hundred people in the closet with only like a little plate burner. So I like the skill set that it brings. It makes you really strong. What led eventually to upgrade into a food truck? Cooking on that trailer, while it was very adventurous and awesome and scrappy to start with, didn't allow me to really cook in the wintertime, but I still needed to pay the bills in the wintertime. So having the walls and the food truck basically came down to the fundamentals of weather. Eventually, you kind of moved to the space behind Ace of Cups. What about that space just made so much sense for really like your first physical location? 
So it was a very clear decision that we had to make to move out of Pace Mountain High because of the volume of customers blocking the streets and the government was coming down on me for not having egress and flow around me and the intersection and the stores that were around me. I was basically clogging up that whole two block area. Also wanted to respect my landlord because my business was overtaking his business at the supermarket, like the little convenience store I was next to. So like his customers couldn't get into like go get their snacks and lottery tickets and stuff. I didn't want to disrespect the man's business by having mine, even though I was renting from him, I didn't want to overtake his business. So it was my time to leave because it was just too damn busy right there. I had a friend of a friend that was uh, friends with the owner of Ace of Cups and he introduced me and it was an easy yes for her to allow me to come put my food truck up there. You guys have been there ever since. Yeah, it's like 10, uh, 11 years. When I first started at Ace of Cups, I had two food trucks right next to each other because it was so busy. And they were just both Ray Rays. And it was like, I just had two crews and like I was on one truck and then I had another manager on another truck. And we sold, we had two trucks next to each other. Both of them were Ray Rays, both had the same menu and they both had huge lines. And then we started expanding to different locations and stuff. And then that obviously diluted the original location because now everybody's kind of spread out against the other locations, which makes Ace of Cups not as busy. So then we went down to one food truck. The next thing that you kind of do is you start your own farm. But up to that point, where were you getting all your products from? So in the beginning, I was just getting my meat from the same place everybody else gets it from, which is like the commodity main purveyors like Cisco and GFS. Now there's Northern Hazarot and there's What Chefs Want, um, which are selling food now. But at that point, it wasn't about really the product. It was about the technique um, because I was still refining my skills you know, with smokers and things like that. Now it's drifted into more of, you know, I've got that part. Now I'm looking at sourcing, you know, so sourcing is a big thing for me now. I watched, I don't know if you've ever seen it, the Aaron Franklin thing that he did on like PBS, like he was like making smokers and stuff. In theory, you can make a smoker out of anything, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, I'm with that theory. So like you could make it out of fridge, right? If you welded the door shut and like cut a hole in the side, if you wanted to, like that's not the best idea probably, right? It's not the best idea, but yes, you can, you know, with, with the right skills, you can make a smoker out of anything. You just got to really respect and understand the fundamentals and then you can do whatever you want from there. Did you build all the smokers? Yeah, I built, yeah, I built a bunch of smokers. The ones we have currently I've been buying. Yeah. In the first, I don't know, five years or something, or first good amount of time, you know, I built everything that we had. I built the trucks, every truck we had, every smoker we had, I built all that crap. What makes the ideal smoker, I guess, in your opinion? So that's definitely changed over the years. You asked me this five years ago, it'd be a different answer. And then five years before that would be a different answer. If I'm answering the question right now, what makes a good smoker is if it's a wood burner, my answer is reverse flow. I'm only, I'm, I'm stuck on reverse flow right now. And I have been for probably a couple of years or more. I love the reverse flow. I get mine out of a place in Kentucky. The, what makes a good smoker? It's hard because I have and use all different types of smokers. It just depends on the situation or what we're cooking. Sometimes we just need to have the rotisserie smoker that has a gas assist on it. Sometimes we don't want to use that. We want to go more pure. We want to do wood fired and wood fired only. And then, you know, babysit that thing and mess with it every hour and get the temperature right. But sometimes when you have several locations and you do it for a living, sometimes you can't sit and babysit that every hour. So sometimes you have to have the fancier rotisserie to just stay in business. You know, just the basic idea of cooking a lot of meat consistently across five locations, sometimes you need that gas assist. I think it was like April, 2014, you started your own hog farm, Anderson Farms, essentially. Was that something that you always envisioned doing for Ray Ray's, like basically closing the supply chain loop? Or like, why did you decide to do your own farm? Um, so the farm came about, it, it wasn't something that I always wanted to do. I never thought I would be a farmer. Definitely raised as a city kid and still kind of uh, a little bit 
do have the mentality of a city kid. I wanted to bring my skill set to the next level at that point. So if that was 2014, you know, I was to the point where I had a really good following. I felt like I was doing a good job at work and I just wanted more. Like I just had more hunger to be better and to, I guess, show off a little more and understand more about the idea of barbecue and not just cooking commodity meat out of a box, but like raising the meat, looking at the wood and maybe even cutting my own wood, raising my own meat. Like, what would that look like as a, a pit boss or a barbecue expert? Like that makes you more of an expert. You know, you're just getting more angles of the whole entire barbecue process. And I wanted to know every single thing about barbecue that I could, and I still do. It's still like a lifelong goal is to just learn every single detail that I possibly can about barbecue. And part of that is the meat. Well, if I'm raising my own meat and I'm crossing my own breeds, I'm trying to create the perfect barbecue pig, then that just takes me more in depth. What was the biggest challenge with the farm? Well, that's a hard question. The, the whole entire thing is a challenge, especially then starting out uh, being a farmer. When I knew nothing about farming, nobody in my family was a farmer, um, didn't know how to feed animals, didn't know how to do anything in regards to farming. So the whole process was a challenge. Uh, my wife was a big participant in the farm and still is, but she had a little bit better farming background than I did. So she helped a lot with starting it, researching it, bringing the knowledge and stuff like that. But I guess one big challenge was finding the right breeding stock and having to go really far to get it. That's like a specific challenge that we had because we knew what breeds that we wanted from our research before we started farming. Finding those breeds was a lot easier said than done. What was the breed? Like, why was that the breed that you wanted? So like we, in the beginning, we were hell-bent on getting Mangalistas, Cooney Coonies, Mulefoots. These are all like lard-based pigs. And we wanted a good fatty pig like they were raised back in the 40s, 50s. We didn't want the Durocks and the Berkshires and the Yorkshires, these really lean pigs. We didn't, we have no interest in raising them. We wanted that really five inch back fat type pig. And those things are hard to find. Like the breeding genetics of those, like they're hard to find. So we were hell bent on getting them and damn it, we got them. We, we started, our first pig that we bought was a full bred Mangalista. She was a wild, wild hog. One step away from a wild hog that is like running the woods. About like a year after kind of you started the farm, I think uh, Esquire Magazine did a profile. Did you think that was going to lead to the reception that it did in terms of just kind of taking Ray Ray's to the next level, like in terms of business, new customers, like all of a sudden you're kind of in this national like magazine? Yeah, I had no idea. Like, no, no, I did not have an idea. Like that guy wrote that we had the best damn ribs in the country. Like that was the title of the article. And this guy had a very, very large reputation. And no, our business doubled immediately. Like as soon as that thing came out, our, our business doubled. And like I was buying more smokers, hiring more people. Like it was freaking crazy. But yes, that was the big first first step into the national uh, recognition. And it was a huge uh, like sigh of relief from like a sustainability from a financial standpoint. I was like, oh, this is going to make my business so much more sustainable. You know, now I feel like I can probably do this for the rest of my life. And that was a real good moment. That ramp up and expansion and everything, because you were just still early at the farm, you weren't able to supply all the trucks and everything with your own pigs. But are you able to do that now? Or do you still kind of source in from other farms when need be? We source almost all of our meat from other farms. My farm, at its biggest point, we probably only had a couple, probably about 250 head of pigs. Like that was our largest point. That was probably, I don't know, two years ago, we were at that largest point. But even with that many, you know, we're still only shipping a couple pigs a week for slaughter. And out of that, you know, you got, you know, two shoulders on each pig. So that's only four shoulders per week that Anderson Farms has available. Well, the Ray Ray's menu was developed and designed way before I was a farmer. So it wasn't really designed as a farm to table menu. 
So like it was designed to have pork shoulders for pork. It was never designed to have a whole hog like menu item. So there's nothing else to like I had to sell all the bacon and I had to sell all the rear legs and I had to sell all the loins because Ray Ray's wasn't using them. And we didn't really have the resources or the desire to redesign the entire menu because it was doing so well and it is doing so well as it is. It's not really like, I'm not going to change that menu because we have a good following. The question of like how much is supplied, it's it's a small amount. It's what I have. It's a couple of pigs a week and that's what we use. But But overall, we go through way more than two pigs a week. So we have to supplement. Yeah. I mean, you guys have like four or five locations now. The second location that you guys had opened, and I think it was 2017, it was Westerville. And up to that point, you know, you said from what I could read and everything that you weren't really thinking about expansion. So what about that opportunity made you agreeable to that? Back when we opened Westerville, the second site, it was still like me and like Valerie, just like that was the senior management team. And we were like still in that like independent mode and not really wanting to grow just to grow because we're popular. We didn't want to lose focus of the food. And that's always been like the number one thing. And I've always been shy about like growing too fast or growing when I shouldn't be growing because I don't want the food quality to get jacked up. We had some pretty good success at Westerville. It was, it started off pretty busy. It's right now it's our busiest location, barely, you know, like Ace of Cups is neck and neck with Maxtown with uh, Westerville. The, what allowed us to grow even more is that we started coming across you know, really strong senior management individuals that helped me grow and that basically pushed the growth more than I would because I'm more of the not grow type and my senior management would be more of the grow growing type. So they've helped me grow along the way. And without them, I would not have been able to grow into separate locations. You were turning down like investors, right? Up to then, like people would be like, hey, you know, want to invest, keep you growing and everything. And you're like, nah, I'm focused on the food. All the time, all the time. What was like the craziest pitch that you could remember somebody like trying to invest? Several times they were like, here, I have a budget of 1.5 or $2 million to build a restaurant. I'm not expecting anything out of your pocket, but here is a very large percentage of this business. That was very attractive and it was really hard to say no to. And that's happened twice by two different groups. But no, it's, ah, I'm good. I don't need any partners. It's just me and my wife and I'm good, man. You wound up opening a third spot about like a year, I think, after the Westerville location land grant. How did all that opportunity come about? The land grant opportunity came that we went down and um, was a vendor at one of their big barbecue festivals that they, well, they called it the American Barbecue. Um, and we were a vendor there and we were so busy. It was our busiest day that we've ever had in like our entire history. I think we sold like 1,100 orders that day. So I was like, man, these guys got like marketing power, like very strong because they like, they had like a thousand plus people at their beer garden to come to this festival. And like we served damn near every one of them. And so I just respected their branding and their marketing power and their their ability to gather such a large group of people that I approached the owner and I was like, Hey man, I'd love to be your permanent like food truck here. And like, he was like, Oh, that, that was easy. Easy. Yes. Like he's a huge barbecue fanatic too. He was like, yeah, we can make this work. Up till then, until you guys became the permanent food truck, they were rotating. Like maybe it was like four or five days a week. They'd have like a different food truck. But it was kind of tough to figure out like who was there. You'd have to like find it through an app or like Facebook or something like that. Then it was like, oh, Ray Ray's is here all the time. Like this is great. Like this works. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a it's a better business model. It's a more sustainable business model. You just stick somewhere and you stay there, and um, it's it's better for the guest. I think you know, like the guest knows where to find you. How did the whole Guy Fieri come into film? How did all that happen? I don't know. They just randomly send an email. It's like, hey, you want to do this thing? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. it sounds freaking sweet. 
So they reached out to you, like you had no idea or anything like that. That's the only way to get on there. I think that you can like nominate or say, Hey, you should go this place or whatever. But yeah, I don't think that you can, you can't put yourself on shows like that. They, I mean, they have to call you. I mean, from what I know. Is Guy Fieri exactly as he would seem? I thought he was very uh, nice and respectable and pleasant to be around. He's loud and like he has a bad reputation, I guess, from certain people about being on TV. But I don't know. He's a very strong businessman. I mean, that dude is freaking loaded. So he's doing something right. That's my opinion. Yeah, he does get like a bit of a a weird or like bad rep. I I don't know if it's just the show's been on so long or like his style or whatever, which is very uh, not flamboyant necessarily, but flames and everything but he's really also big into like charity and stuff too he's got a certain style that doesn't really mesh with most people's style but um i mean i I try not to be judgmental on that type of thing i mean obviously we don't have the same style but like that's none of my business how he wants to comb his hair i mean he was a nice guy he does do gazillions of dollars in charity he does help with like you know natural disasters and shit like that i don't know he's all right my book I think a lot of people don't know of all the stuff that he's done. He basically does exactly what Jose Andres does for World Central Kitchen, except he's like the West Coast version. Earthquakes in California, like all that stuff during the pandemic, he was doing a bunch of stuff too, which you actually did during the pandemic, which we're going to get to here in a moment. 2019, I think you guys were named Best Food Truck in Ohio by the Daily Meal. And like three months later, you get your first Gene Spirit Award nomination for Best Chef Great Lakes. How surprising were both those accolades? The best food truck was not surprising. We got, we, I don't know. I, I don't even know how many of, of those type of things that we've gotten. They just, it seems like it's all the time. The James Beard nomination definitely caught me way, way off guard. Did not, did not expect that at all. Being a barbecue guy in that, in that genre was very unexpected. There's only a handful that's ever, ever been in barbecue and that have been in the, same conversation with all these other top guys that have gotten nominations or any kind of nod from the James Beard. So yeah, I was not, not expecting that at all. Did that change business at all? Like, did you see another bump because of it once the list got released? No, not really. It definitely changed the respect that I get from other chefs, but it, from a financial standpoint or like a business growth standpoint or like you know, gross revenue or anything like that. No, it didn't change any of that. I can just hold my chin a little higher now, I guess. Why'd you decide to open uh, another location at uh, Noctera up in Powell? So the Noctera piece came together because in Columbus, we felt like we were like already grown to the point where we shouldn't put more in Columbus just because I didn't want to have too many places in one small area. So like we wanted to go outside of Columbus and it's just a little bit outside of Columbus, but I liked, I chose Noctera specifically because of the clientele and the demographic. Again, it was kind of like a branding thing with like going to Noctera, seeing their brand, seeing their like facilities, just uh, made it an easy yes to say, I wanted to align my brand with their brand uh, and their product is delicious. And the, when I met the owners, it was just a, the vibe that the owners gave off made it, there was just so many things that made it an easy yes. Like I couldn't say no to it. You guys switched to or brought in Mattia Breads. What's it been like working with Matt Swint over there so far? Uh, from a quality standpoint, I think he's at the top of his game. We love his bread. We fought really hard to stay with his bread because the quality of his bread and the uniqueness of the mouthfeel, the texture, the color, the depth of flavor, I feel is unmatched. I mean, I, th- I think a couple people are close, but um, we've committed to to staying with him for a long time. And um, he, he's more of just a small one-man band and I'm not anymore. So it has came with a lot of challenges from a production standpoint, but from a quality standpoint, I stand behind his product 100%. 
Was that change because of what was coming down the road with Meet and 3? Or was it just a natural change that you guys felt you wanted to make? Because it really did transform like the hot link sandwich. Like before, I think it was like white bread and now you have it on like one of his rolls and it's a completely different experience. Yes, I agree. It is a different experience. Before we were using white bread and it was designed specifically to a Texas style hot link. The really old school uh, respected barbecue joints in Texas always served their hot link on white bread like that. So I was trying to represent the Texas authentic style, but it didn't really catch in Ohio. The Ohioans were just not really into it. They like in Ohio, we like sausages on a bun. And in Texas, they like sausage on bread. So we switched it to, to Matias bread. And yeah, it could be argued that it eats better. You know, it probably does eat better on, uh, you know, in an Ohio style versus a Texas style. The Matias uh, relationship was only driven on quality. We always want to get better, better bread. It's hard to find good bakers because there's not that many in Columbus. I wish there were more. Once he finally said yes, after me begging him to bake all my bread, yeah, we never looked back. During the pandemic, you did a drive-through pop-up at the farm. What kind of gave you that idea? So that was like at the peak of the pandemic when it was really hot and heavy in the beginning. We wanted a way to um, just bring our neighbors and our community together to like get out of the house, but safely. That's when we were like, why doesn't everybody come to the farm? We did like a drive-through tour, like you stayed in your car, but you drive through the whole entire farm and you see the donkeys and the sheep and the goats and you go back and you see the pig operation and you see them running through the field and you drive through and you stop and you hang out in your car and you eat this whole hog barbecue that we made from our pigs and all this stuff. So it, from a feel-good standpoint, it felt really good to do that. We didn't charge for anything. The first time we did it, we didn't even take donations. Like we refused donations and we realized, damn, I could have donated that money to somebody else. So the second time we did take donations, we raised a shit ton of money and we um, donated it to the causes um, at that time that were important to us. Uh, we love that idea to, to bring everybody together when people can't come out of the house. That was That's why we did it. Like earlier this year is when Meet and 3 opened. I think it was April, right? Yeah. Yeah. April this year. Were you nervous at all about getting back into like a brick and mortar space due to past experiences? Plus COVID being unpredictable, not knowing exactly. I mean, obviously the plans were in works before COVID. Yes, I was very nervous. I was so nervous about opening a brick and mortar that my body basically shut down and my intestinal system shut down like from stress, which I never knew it could happen. But like I couldn't digest food. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't. My body was like, you have to stop eating. So like all during the testing phases and all the recipe development and all the new menu writing and stuff, like my body was shut down and I was still pushing working 14 hours each day without eating. Like I, I could only eat like apples and like very light stuff. So like I hear I'm like designing this dream menu that I've been like designing in my head and on paper for like 10 years. It's my dream restaurant. And like, I can't even eat because my, my body is shut down from stress of like, why am I doing a brick and mortar again? Like what, what the hell, why am I waste? Why am I wasting my time doing a brick and mortar when I've already done the food truck thing? I've proven I can do it. Profitability is awesome in the food truck business. I've already failed at the restaurant business. Why am I doing it again? So it was a lot of pressure and nervousness that I put on myself. There was nobody else doing it. It's just like, I have very high expectations of my own work. And I basically stressed myself to a point where my body was like, bro, you need to chill out. Why did you decide to do it again? Was it just like that dream and like you wanted to see if you could do it? I did the brick and mortar again because it was this piece of real estate came open in my hometown. It's five minutes away from my house and my farm. I've always wanted to come do barbecue in Granville. I thought it would be in a food truck format, but when this restaurant came open, it happened to be the same time that Moe's Barbecue closed in Granville. 
now's my time. You know, there's a piece of real estate. There's a really cool restaurant that is the size that I'd want. It has a drive-through attached already on it. Uh, the hood is installed already. It's got 50 parking spaces, which like nowhere in Granville has any parking. And also the building happens to be for sale, which allows me to have like a real estate investment. So like all these things made perfect sense to take it. And most barbecue is going out. So I was like, okay, now it's my time to come in. What's different about this physical restaurant, this brick and mortar versus your previous ones? So I think the main difference is the experience level that I've gained in the past 12 years of not having a brick and mortar. What I've learned of like what not to do in the brick and mortar business was very valuable because I screwed so many things up. I learned, I basically learned more about when I screw things up about what not to do than what to do. Like those are very valuable things to me is what not to do. So I think the knowledge of what not to do has led me to the success at the new place. How'd you uh, wind up getting Bill Glover to come aboard? Um, so Bill Glover and I have been friends for about 10, 10 12 years. Um, we've tried to work together in the past, but um, that man is kind of pricey and I couldn't really afford him. You know, he lost his gig at the Hilton from the pandemic. You know, they had to start knocking, knocking the top guys down and bring their payroll down. He got knocked off and he called me and he called a couple other folks and I offered him, I offered him a job right on the spot. And then he brought basically the CEO of Meet and 3, essentially? He runs all of our... Everything he runs my entire bit. Like I pretty much run Meet and Three, and he pretty much runs everything else. Without him, I couldn't open Meet and Three. He has ran Columbus, all four or five locations in Columbus. He's ran the catering outfit, all the all the business that I have in Columbus. He's ran that for about a year, which allowed me to free up my time to come to build the Meet and Three and to, to run it the way I want to run it. Did you ever consider leaving Columbus at all to like cook somewhere else or open Ray Ray's somewhere else potentially down the road? Um, so I've never thought about leaving Columbus. I probably never will. I think that I will retire with businesses in Columbus. I think I'll be there for a long time. I love being there. Do I want to do stuff outside of Columbus? I mean, yes, I do. I'm not in any rush, but I have desire to grow other places. Did you ever uh, consider or have you ever in the past, I don't know if you have messed around with any like the barbecue competitions that they have? Yes, I've, I've done three or four competitions, um, like uh, KCBS competitions. We spend the whole weekend, you're cooking brisket and pork and uh, chicken and ribs. Didn't do any good there and stopped doing them. The, the, I guess the main reason, I, I do like them, but it's more of a, a social thing, not really a business thing. And then I start having kids and I'm like, well, I mean, I could be at home with my kids or like I can be out like spending the whole weekend cooking brisket. I'm like, oh, I got to spend time with my kids. There's like a documentary. I don't know. It's on one of the, I don't know if it's Amazon or Netflix or whatever. It's pretty interesting. Like they followed around a couple of people that did like all those and stuff. And it's just, I don't know, the voting system just seemed like a crapshoot. Like it was so random. Like it didn't really seem like there was any order to like the voting system as who won like best chicken or best ribs or anything. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I got murdered there. I got murdered every time. I'm like, man, I mean, I don't know. Like these guys, I don't know what guys and girls, I mean, they're just out there killing it, but that's how they cook a certain way. And then I cook a certain way. Like I cook for the restaurants and like, there's a certain seasoning level that you have at a restaurant and there's a certain seasoning level that you have in a competition. Like those judges are looking for something that's overly sweet, overly salty. Like I can't serve that kind of barbecue at a restaurant. Like it doesn't work. So like I have to learn like a whole new seasoning pack or like a whole new way of cooking. Even with like the tenderness of the meat, like the tenderness that I cook at, the level of like the internal temperature that I cook at and the internal temperature they cook at is different. Do I want to start cooking at like, you know, I have the way that I cook and I love the meat that I produce. Like, I don't want to cook it like tough or overly tender to appease those judges. I want to cook it the way I want to cook it. So I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm stubborn like that. 
When you first started doing barbecue, I mean, you mentioned Texas, but did you look at any like the Carolina or the Kansas City style? Did you kind of adopt or bring any of those components into your style of barbecue or was it just kind of you kind of figured it out on your own what your style was? Um, In the beginning, when I first started cooking barbecue in my early 20s, it was definitely um, just trial and error. I didn't really get to go out and experience other other states barbecue or other regions of barbecue. And then as I've grown, you know, in my thirties and forties and stuff, like I've definitely traveled and done some extensive research in every region of barbecue there is in America um, to learn what they're doing and see how it's done. I think that I've taken a lot of that stuff that I've learned in those different regions. And I put that into my recent work at the meet and three. So I think that's a combination of what I've learned in the last 10 to 12 years um, that I've wanted to do. Now I'm doing it at the meet and three. What'd you do during COVID aside from the drive-through? Uh, events that you guys did, but did you do anything else? Were you focusing on just kind of the business or was it a nice little break despite, you know, all the bad things that came with it? So during COVID, our business went up tremendously. So we were, uh, how I spent my time was we were hiring, we were buying more equipment and we were trying to keep up with the increase of business that came very suddenly in March when COVID first hit. We were also building Noctera and opening Noctera during the heavy parts of the pandemic. And then I went straight from opening Noctera straight into developing the meat and three. This was all during the pandemic. I don't know. Business was good. So we were just trying to keep up. There was no breaks in COVID. It was the exact opposite. You've been in cooking in Columbus your entire life. I mean, Ray Ray since 2009. How has the food and restaurant industry in Columbus changed since you've been involved? Um, well, that's a very broad question. I don't have a specific answer for that. How, how has it changed? It uh. I have no idea. I don't know. What do you think needs to change that? Anything? I don't want to insert my opinion on uh, what others should or shouldn't do with their business. I don't know. Well, I mean, just like in the the food scene in general, do you think it needs to have, you know, more chef-driven restaurants? Do you think it needs to have different concepts that we don't have that other cities do have? Uh, I guess so. So the answer that I would have is, I mean, I would love to see less corporate restaurants and more independent restaurants. Um, that would be a huge uh, benefit, I think, for the community in Columbus. I think that's the same thing that what any other independent chef would want or independent independent restaurant would want. It's hard when we're trying to do our independent thing and then you got corporate America pounding on your door in Columbus as we're a test market. And they have, you know, they'll put a million dollars into a restaurant and here we're trying to like scrounge up 150 grand or 200 grand to build a place. and like you know, what, how they build them and how we build them is so much different. So the tone that they set is like a certain tone and it's almost the norm in Columbus. So like, that's the tone that we have to like try to live up to, but like, I'm not trying to live up to that tone. I can't afford to live up to that tone. And I just don't want to, even if I could. So that kind of like brainwashes the clientele to eat that way. Us independent chefs, we don't want them to eat. We don't want the guests to eat that way. We want to eat the independent way. What's next for you professionally? Is it just continuing with the success of everything and or is it expanding? Or? Professionally, I think um, what's next is going to be refining the skills that I have at the meet and three and getting comfortable cooking in a brick and mortar kitchen, which is very much different for me. I really love cooking there and being in that environment. It's, I mean, it's so much different than a food truck. I have so many more opportunities and so much more culinary stuff I could do in that like environment versus a food truck. I haven't really started uh, even thinking about our next step yet because I just want to keep enjoying what I'm doing at the meet and three. So I would say, I don't know, a couple I mean, I probably won't even start thinking about it for another year, what we're going to do next, but it'll probably be out of town if we did something. 
This question comes from Smollier, an owner of Pleasantry in Cincinnati, Dan Soder. He was a previous guest on the podcast. So he left behind this question. Uh, if you could change one thing that you did over the last 18 months, what would it be? Oh, boy. I don't know. I, don't, I live like no regrets style. Um, what could I change in the last 18 months? I'm not sure, man. Would you have ordered more stuff in advance? Would you, you know? <laughs> I don't know. What's a question that you'd want to leave behind for the next guest? can be anything. Uh, what, what is your uh, favorite ingredient to work with when it comes to cooking? All right. So we got a handful of more questions here. I've asked these pretty much to everybody who comes on the podcast. So compare and contrast across the episodes. Who would you say is the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far? I have so many inspirational people that I take little bits from. It's hard to choose one. I don't really follow just one type of inspiration. My personal inspirations and my business inspirations are going to be the same. And it's more of like personalities that I look about how people are treating other people, how they present themselves amongst women and how they just carry themselves in a professional manner. And um, so that's where I get most of my inspiration from. I guess it's not really one individual person. More of like a, just different people that you've encountered that have kind of those traits. Yeah, the, those type of traits is what I look for professionally and at home. But uh, I inspire by a lot of a lot of different businesses and people. What's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? I guess recently it's been a stand mixer. One thing in the restaurant that you would not fix yourself. This thing breaks. You're like, I'm not messing with that. I'm calling somebody to fix it. Convection oven. Restaurant that you'd recommend that isn't your own. So I'd say, I usually give the scenario, you know, somebody gets stuck at a layover at the airport. They reach out to you. You guys aren't open. You send them to this place. You'd recommend. Wolf's Red Brewing. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. Any place they haven't been that you want to go, want to eat at? South Italy is the place I want to go. Restaurants would be Massa in New York. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working? Well, in the food truck, when we first started in Clintonville, when I started hiring employees, there was a lot of fights during my service involving my employees and customers. Like mid-service, like one of my guys or girls would just go out and have a fight and then come back in and then be like, you know, I'm still waiting on my macaroni and cheese. Like, where's my Mac? I called out for a Mac and you didn't bring me my Mac. I've seen people trying to pee on my trailer like while I'm working, like my food trailer, we have to go out and like remove them from like our area. And then it would just turn into a fight, like a physical fight. Uh, we've seen people stealing, like they would steal our stuff while we're working. Like they would come in our trailer, steal our stuff and run. We would chase them down, beat the hell out of them, take our stuff back and go back to the truck. A few times people would throw things at the trailer. We would go out, we would have an altercation. We would hold the line. We would say, we'll be back in a second, have a little altercation. We'd get back in the trailer. Like it happened all the time down there. I don't know why, but it was just a very scrappy situation where people were just aggressive down there. I don't know what it was. There's a lot of homeless people too. Not all of them, but probably about half of them. Food or drink guilty pleasure. Is there anything that you know is terrible for you, but you just can't help yourself? Even if it's like going down the grocery store aisles and you kind of know that thing's down there. So you might like avoid that aisle. Right now, sausage, I can't, I have high blood pressure and high cholesterol and I cannot stop eating sausage. So I don't know, sausage and beer. Like I just keep drinking beer and eat sausage, but I'm like not supposed to have either one. What's your go-to beer? Uh, this time of year, I like cloudy IPAs, but I'm about to start moving into dark beer. Oh, so you go with the seasons. I go with the seasons. Dark beer in the winter, cloudy IPAs right now. Summertime, I like really crisp like mixes with beer. They call them Rattlers in Germany. I don't know what they're called here. It's like lemonade and beer mixed together. A shandy. I think they call it a shandy here. I don't know. Because I think when people hear the word shandy, they think of like line and Googles, which is 
I don't think is the accurate way that that's supposed to be, but I don't know. I'm not your expert. So maybe I'm way off. Favorite tattoo that I have or somebody else has that you have probably the skull I just got on my hand recently. That's yeah. It's probably my favorite one. Favorite dish thing you've ever cooked kind of created, you know, looking back over your career, you can kind of point to like that being the moment that you knew you could do this professionally. My favorite dish that I've created was once I was already a professional, but it was at the Hickory Nook Supper Club that I created a couple years ago and I did a land grant. And I did, we did like a six course meal once a month for invited guests. And I did a smoked cabbage dish with um, little bacon lardons that I made out of a mangalista hog. And I made this bomb ass farm jus that goes on there. It was like a really nice, damn near like a demi. And I think there was one more element on there. But anyway, I took the whole head of cabbage and I quartered it and uh, smoked it and then braised it and uh, some really gnarly beef stock. And damn, it was freaking good. Thus, it presented really nice. It looked really good on the plate. So I don't know. That's my favorite dish. It didn't really tell me that I was a professional because I was already a professional. But earlier on, I guess, to answer the question and the second part of the question, when I learned how to finally cook ribs properly, that was the big moment of like, okay, now I'm a professional instead of like a rookie barbecue guy. Those ribs like kicked my ass for like a couple years, like trying to figure out how to cook good ribs. Like I was so hell bent on trying to get good ribs because my dad cooked good ribs, but he never taught me how to do it. Like he did it, but he never taught me because I was too young. And then he died, and then I couldn't like learn how to cook from him because he was already dead. But like I figured out how to cook ribs, and I was like, man, this is freaking awesome. I wish he could have taught me, but then I figured it out on my own, and it was a very big challenge. Was it just like getting the temperature right or was it always like burnt, like not burnt on the outside, but like not cooked all the way through in the inside? Or what was the biggest challenge with that? Just getting the texture right and the, like the moisture content right. It's really not easy to do. It still isn't easy to do. You know, I like to get, when you bite into it, I like to get like good feathering in the meat where you see the lines of the protein. And a lot of times the meat gets really tight. We call it tight. I don't really know how else to describe it, but the meat kind of gets like this firmness to it. And it's not like soft and relaxed and rested. It's like you can tell that a rib is rushed and when the meat is tight or when it's firm, has a little more, little too much pull to it. It's really hard to figure out how to get the meat to loosen up rather than to be tight. But also at the same time, not being overcooked where it's just mush, which is also not professional. That's just like you're just cooking it to hell and you're not really doing anything. You're just leaving it in a crock pot for eight hours and it's like, okay, it's tender. Well, it also tastes like shit. So I don't know. Uh, I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is. Uh, if you were, was there a moment scene episode that stands out to you about him the most or if you weren't was there another kind of culinary personality on tv whether it was like emerald or someone that gravitated towards or really appreciated while you're coming up through your career yeah back in the day i definitely watched emerald the original the original emerald rest uh shows all the way back when i was in high school um i've watched food tv all the way since then Anthony Bourdain, I definitely watched a lot of his shows when he was alive. When he died, I had I stopped watching them because of, I, emotionally, I can't watch him anymore. So right now, I've been watching um, Andrew Zimmern a lot. Delicious Destinations, I watch all the time. Uh, all his travel shows, I'm, I love him. I watch him all the time. Where can people find you? Social media, website, reservations, plug, all that stuff. Uh, Ray Ray's Hog Pit um, on Instagram and also Facebook. We have a web website we just redesigned, rayrayshogpit.com. On there is our um, Columbus locations and our Granville location. That's what I got. Meat and Three's got a separate Instagram, right? Oh, yeah. Meat and Three does have a, a separate Instagram. Yeah. Ray Ray's Meat and Three, all spelled out. Is the website, it's meatandthree.com? The website is on our main website, rayrayshogpit.com. We just have one website. And then once you get into that website, it directs you to either go to Granville or to stay in Columbus. And you guys are open every day? In Granville at the Meat and Three restaurant, we're open every day except Monday. We're open lunch and dinner every day except Monday. 
And then the food trucks are all open. Thursday through Sunday, lunch and dinner. Awesome. Well, again, appreciate you coming on, taking some time. I know you're a busy guy with everything that you guys got going on. And yeah, obviously you guys got more stuff on the way. So open invitation anytime you want to come back on the podcast. Doesn't always have to be an hour. You know, it can be 15 minutes if you've got a new restaurant opening or new menu to plug or whatever. But really appreciate you know you taking some time. It's really, really good barbecue. I think probably my favorite is probably the wing. The wings are outstanding with like the dry rub. I'm a, I'm a really big dry rub guy with you guys. The the ribs too, but I don't know. The wings, I mean, obviously they're tough to get now because they got so expensive in price. Those are always awesome. The lamb has always been great every time I've had it too as well. It's awesome stuff. Appreciate it. Stay in touch. And yeah, we'll be seeing you soon. I saw that there's turkey on the menu at Beaten 3. So I'm going to come check that out. It's real good too. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I love your show, man. Thanks again to James for coming on the podcast, taking some time out. Really appreciate it. I know uh, he was, like he said, super stressed out about opening that restaurant, the brick and mortar and everything. But you can really tell when you go in there, you know, all the thought that he put into it, all the care and everything that he really, really tried to do something different and kind of this dream restaurant the way he wanted it to be. And, and it really shows when you go in there. So I can't recommend it enough to anybody who's looking for some barbecue. Barbecue for me is kind of a fall winter thing. You know, when it gets hot in the summer, that's not something that I gravitate towards, but now we're kind of in the barbecue season, I feel like. So make sure to check them out all the way out in Granville. Also all the Ray Ray's food trucks around Columbus here. I get the one in Franklinton over at Land Grant, the one in Clintonville at Ace of Cups, the one up in Powell at Noctera, and then the one in Westerville in that kind of shopping center area. There's like a Home Depot there and like a Wendy's and they're kind of in between the two. So Uh, Those are kind of your four locations and then the restaurant itself all the way out in Granville. But check them out on Instagram too. Again, it's at thepigboss225 to follow him, James Anderson, but also the restaurants at Ray Ray's Hog Pit and at Ray Ray's Meat and Three. Uh, Make sure to follow us on Instagram too as well at SpoonMob. Twitter, Facebook, SpoonMob1, SpoonMob.com for the website. Check out past episodes of Chefs and Guests. Pretty much come out every Thursday. Parts Now Known, uh, Wednesdays, uh, sometimes it's every Wednesday, sometimes it's every other Wednesday. That just kind of depends on scheduling uh, with me and Ben. So if you're an Anthony Bourdain fan looking for some content or something like that, make sure to check those episodes out. You know, we kind of riff on some other stuff that's going that's topical and depending on the episode, just kind of depends on how good the episode is. I think sometimes if we hate the episode, the podcast might actually be better. (laughs) in some weird way. So check all that stuff out. You can email us directly, spoonmob at yahoo.com or through the webpage, contact portal, questions, comments, feedback, recommendations, all that stuff. Appreciate everything that's been sent in by different people. Keep it coming. Always great to hear from listeners and, and have recommendations and hey, you should check this out or see what this person's doing over there and stuff like that too. So that's always super helpful. A few more guests coming up. We will not have an episode the week of Thanksgiving, the week of Christmas, or the week of New Year's. We are taking those weeks off. All the weeks in between, all those Thursdays, there will be new episodes as we roll into 2022. Uh, we'll start booking some guests for 2022 here shortly as well and get those kind of lined up as we get kind of closer to the end of the year. So again, appreciate everybody listening as we get kind of into the final home stretch of the year and uh, the different guests and stuff that we have coming out and stuff we have in the works and whatnot. So it's been a lot of fun so far. going to wrap it up uh, this year and keep doing what we're doing all the way into 2022 and, and hopefully beyond. So yeah, that's all we got for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you guys next week.